0: Hi, and welcome to the Inside Out Security Show. I'm Cindy Ng, a writer for Veronis' Inside Out Security blog, and today I'm joined by security experts Mike Buffy and Killian Engler. Hey, Mike. Hey, Cindy. Hey, Killian.
1: Hey, Cindy. I like your uh, max headroom thing you have going on with your uh, with the connection.
2: Yeah, the connection's not the best today for Cindy, unfortunately, so...
0: Yeah, but we're all in our same spot, so I feel (laughs) it just feels like at home. But you know what's funny is that I live at Tumblr, by General Assembly, is nearby my home. And so there was a point where I had zero service for like a month, and I said, Oh, this is ridiculous. I shouldn't be making calls through my wife, I pay a lot of money. So they actually sent me like a little mini uh, cell phone tower. And nice. so now oh, I can make cool. phone calls. We we need something here at the office. The reception's pretty bad.
2: Actually, the thing that sounds like sports is we think uh, since you're way up in an office building that your headphones are an antenna, and it's like bringing in something. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think so too because after I signed off, I act. I'm hearing commercials right now as we speak. This just is just commercials. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this is just the future. In the future, everyone's just going to constantly have ads and commercials like pumped into their eyeballs and ears all day. Your augments will be I'm
0: free. kind of already feeling it, though, when I'm looking <laughs> when I'm looking online. And just ads are always pop. I have ad blocker popped up, but you know what? People are doing now. They want your emails. And so I'm reading an article, and then in the middle, like five seconds later, something's popping up asking for my email. Email on your email list, (laughs) please stop popping up. (laughs) So, um, the question of the day, generally speaking, what are your thoughts on open source or proprietary software?
2: Um, in general, or for the in general.
0: Well, why don't I go?
2: Are you going?
0: Uh, (laughs) So, for me. I'm going to approach this question like healthcare. So, a lot of people, when I went to Black Hat, they didn't like making the analogy that IT or security is like an immune system. But, similar to inspirational quotes you read on your Twitter feed, they're half truths. Hmm. And they're really designed <laughs> to introduce an idea to a broader audience. So, okay, so educators, they like to tell all healthcare providers. The healer must heal themselves. So, when I'm looking at an IT problem, I'm going to try to solve things uh, in a in a free way. So, if I have a cold, I'm going to take herbs. I'm going to take vitamins. And then I'm going to drink lots of water. Whine about it to my friends and family, and then they might have suggestions. Okay, maybe you should sleep more. So then I sleep more. I feel better, and it might work. But then if my cold lasts for more than ten days and I'm, I'm not feeling any better. I might need antibiotics. So then I make an appointment with the doctor or healer and pay for their expert opinion. So I think they're... And then those people are like, I guess, the people working at Veronis are software developers, and they're dedicated IT people who are paid to work on a specific IT problem. So those are my thoughts.
2: Um, I, I don't know. So... It, <laughs> I have used so much open source software over my career. Um, so I think it's hard, and most of that was, you know, doing web development and, you know, Nginx, Apache, you know, databases, all sorts of frameworks. And I think that is really a sweet spot of uh, open source software, is this infrastructure. Um, and there's certainly tools and other aspects to it, but, you know, I, I f- open source just rules the infrastructure space and in a lot of a lot of niches, and I, I think that's awesome. And I think in general, I was gonna say there there isn't a problem in the technical community of um, having like too little thought or too little action placed upon the security aspects of things. And so if a company can do a little bit better, having security in depth with some open source tools.
1: I think they totally should do that. Um, yeah, uh, I, I agree with Mike. Um, I like open source solutions, uh, you know, infrastructure or even um, other tools. Um, I like the concept of them a lot, just because it gives kind of the most amount of folks looking at it to find problems and bugs before they affect other folks. Um, and I think that's that's awesome that people come together to kind of improve security and improve the process and um, function of different tools that they love. Um, on the other hand, um, the support portion of it um, and the expertise you do have to pay for. I mean, even some of the open source tools like you know, I'm sorry, uh, infrastructure components like Red Hat or something like that, you can get the yeah. software for free, but you have to pay for the the support um, if you want that additional kind of level for the enterprise. I, I think there there if there's a trap to it, it's that. It's um, it
2: splits the capital and the ongoing cost of it. Like the capital cost to acquire, you know, um, you know an open source, you know, application for whatever you're going to do, it's very low. You just download it from GitHub. But it's very uh, difficult then perhaps to put it into practice. Mm-hmm. And so that's the whole other piece of it. Um, you know, we're talking support, but even just getting it set up and is it set up correctly and are you getting the value out of it you need?
0: Yeah, you brought up a really good point, Mike. Um, with Wordfence, they're an open source uh, WordPress security plugin, and with that, they were—they recently wrote a blog post that people were really upset that there are random spammy links being served up, and Google calls that cloaking, and and it counts against you. Mike, do you want to comment on?
2: Sure. So. That. You're breaking up a little, Cindy. But uh, So I think Word, WordFence is really interesting from a couple aspects. Um, it's open source. You can just download it and install it into your WordPress instance. And part of what they do is, as a service, they aggregate um, all the different attacks against all the different WordPress installations where WordFence is installed. So it's this sort of network intelligence of, oh, well, we're seeing these sort of dictionary attacks over here. We're seeing these sort of exploits from this... Um, Refer, and they're able to then spread that intelligence out to all of their installations. So it's really clever. I, I think that's just a really neat concept. Um, and most of the time what they do is, you know, there'll be some infection that gets onto the WordPress instance, and then WordFence will, will recognize it almost like an antivirus just for WordPress and say, like, oh, suddenly you're serving up malware. Give you an alert, you can take care of it. Wonderful piece of software. In this case, it was a little bit on the line, and that it was um, in the terms of service for another plugin. And so it was this other plugin that was like a social share plugin or something. But one of the things they were doing was the cloaking was if the Googlebot came through, it would not show the links, but if normal people were the, just browsing, it would show the links. And that was described in the terms of service for this malicious plugin, but they made the call that that's not good enough. And so it was a lot of questions about sort of the discretion of this and like what should happen. And I think that's a real interesting point for security. Like you were even mentioning like ads. Like what's the difference between, you know, a firewall that blocks malicious things and then also blocks ads? (laughs) Like is that still a security thing? Is it a little grayer?
1: Like how far do you go? We might have lost Cindy again. Oh, there she's going again. Um, but to Mike, to your point, um, I, I read that article too, uh, and I think they, they made the right call. Uh, clearly the guy was, you know, he kind of came out and said that he was going to do something that was, I don't know, untoward, if you want to use that word. Um, and, you know, he got caught. You know, so, well, you know, shame on him for doing it. Um, but the problem, you know, kind of the, the very delicate balance is that uh, a lot of companies, and Google's a perfect example, they make their money on ads. um, But, you know, these kind of malicious folks are taking advantage of it um, as a real easy delivery mechanism for a lot of um, malware uh, and other exploits by injecting it in there. So it's, you know, you want to, I don't know, support the companies you like, but on the other hand, you know, it's kind of getting ruined for everybody. Um, And it's getting so common with this kind of malvertising that uh, pops up everywhere almost, even through legitimate ad channels.
0: So you guys are talking about malware, and I want to talk about open source ransomware. Um, About a year ago, a white hatter from Turkey uh, wrote the first open source ransomware for educational purposes. He thought we all needed to learn how and what cyber criminals uh, cyber criminals were thinking, and so it's not a surprise that a lot of people actually took his code and then later created more powerful ransomware. Uh, first, it was um, just for educational purposes, and then then they took it and turned it into EDA2, and then the white hatter was able to backdoor his way and get the decryption keys. Then. A couple months later, a ransomware called Magic came along, and then the white tried to extract the decryption key by the back door, and there was no way in. But surprisingly, the creators released the key. Now there's a dead cryptor. It's a child of EDA2, and they're borrowing codes from the original open-source ransomware codes and other sources, and, and there's, there aren't any solutions for this yet do you guys have any reactions to open source ransomware or am i breaking up
2: <laughs> uh, you're, you're still there I, okay. I think the this is sort of the same question which is where are the lines drawn in all of this uh, is it okay to release this you know open source ransomware that you know a script kitty can then take and you know possibly infect more people with and you know it's it's a weird line to draw where, you know, the existence of these tools or making something easier to do. Is that enough to say like, oh, this is now a bad thing? Um, you know, for instance, PowerShell, you know, all, all administrators on Windows systems basically use PowerShell. It's a very useful tool. Um, you know, we talked last week about it's been open source to other platforms. There are ransomware variants that are essentially just PowerShell scripts. But no one says, like, oh, well, PowerShell, that's, you know, that's bad because, you know, it's enabling this because it's at a different level in the easiness and the tech
1: stack of things. So where, like, where do you put the line? Um, I mean, for my opinion, I mean, that's a great point. I mean, there's all sorts of, um, you know, PowerShell, like, remote access tools, and you can do it completely almost in memory anymore through PowerShell without ever having to write to disk. Um, But, yeah, you're right, that is a very strange line to draw in terms of, um, you know, putting that code out there. You know, to actually write ransomware code is not terribly difficult, um, you know, for anybody even with moderate skill. It probably is not a bright idea to make it that much easier um, for folks, but it's, I mean, I don't think he probably did any more damage than... You know, a, a quick five-minute Google search to find the different code components you can put together to do it. So,
0: you he know, it's not great, but it's not awesome. A, he got a lot of hate uh, doing that uh, because there's you. You guys mentioned the script kiddies, um, and I, I was reading the story, and as it unfolded, I was thinking, I don't think there are any good deeds that go unpunished. <laughs> Well, here's what I
2: think is ridiculous, that he got all this hate and criticism, Um, because what's happening now with a lot of the ransomware, the new variants, is they don't actually decrypt the files. They essentially just put a ransom note in, either delete your files or just scramble them up, put a ransom note in that says pay, and then don't actually decrypt the files. So they're just extorting money and then don't return the files. Mm Mm-hmm. which takes very little technical skill, there's no encryption, there's nothing interesting about it, it's just, it's just maliciousness. Um, and so the fact that if, if that's a viable thing and that's happening, it's very hard to look at that and then turn around and say, like, oh, this person that open sourced this and showed this, that they're doing something wrong. I mean, clearly, I think that's not the case.
0: Hey Mike and Killian. So, actually Mike, when you mentioned the new types of ransomware 2 hours ago, I emailed Oded. He spent he's one of our engineers here and he spent 6 years as a security analyst for Israel's Prime Minister's office. It sounds so fancy. It'd be so fun to have him on our show. Uh, but he talked about the evolution of ransomware, and he listed three of the things that he's seen lately. That ransomware has been coded uh, to infect very specific companies mm-hmm. and very specific fi- special specific file extensions. Uh, they're going after SharePoint and SharePoint online file systems. I haven't heard of that. I, and and we've seen. Uh, ransomware trying to shift to Mac, uh, we saw that with uh, Key Ranger. So I just thought it was interesting and and nice of him to share some of his his thoughts. We're gonna write actually a blog post about um, open source malware um, in a little bit. But I just you mentioned new ransomware things and and I wanted to give Odette a, sh- a shout out for. Yeah. commenting on it.
2: Yeah, I was not, so I think those are the two trends I've seen, which is the um, the fact that ransomware is no longer actually returning your files, and the other case is much more targeted, like spear phishing attacks tied to the ransomware to get the infections. Um, there was a Gardner post about a strain, and the big stand-up thing from it was that they were blackmailing people. They are basically doing, like, malvertising on porn sites, blackmailing the person to then um, deliberately infect their workplace (laughs) with the ransomware and had great customer service throughout this where they would actually, um, like, be on, like, a live chat with you, like, okay, here's what you need to do next, and then here's this thing, and just ridiculous. And I, I think the thing that's driving that is just the economics that if you can get, you know, twenty thousand dollars out of a company if you you know, get their files infected and encrypted, then that's it's worth it to take the time to, you know, do a tech support call with the person who's deliberately doing the infection.
1: Mm-hmm. And the targeted, I mean it only makes sense. You know, some Companies, I mean, or some organizations like healthcare, they can't afford to not pay the ransom in a lot of cases. It's kind of a life or death situation. So your ROI on that is, is incredibly high. Um, and the targeting certain files, it, it makes more sense too. You know, um, your business documents, your you know Word docs, PowerPoints, stuff like that. That's probably more valuable than your family vacation pictures. Um, uh, you know, at least in terms of business. So why waste time encrypting something with a lower ROI than um, you know, another type of document that um, that they would need. Yeah.
0: I feel like this is the year of ran- ransomware. Just uh, We've spoken about it many, many times, but it's just people are getting really creative with how they're approaching it. So, Mike, you've also found another uh, open source project. It's based on Go, and it's called Cryptic. Uh, it helps you manage passwords, API keys. Tell us more about that.
2: So I I think this is an interesting thing as we look at sort of the evolution of um, DevOps and operations and sort of programmatic, um, at least from my experience, like more like application infrastructure. And a lot of this is based on a couple ideas. One is that the developers and the admins, to the greatest extent possible, Need to not know the keys and passwords for doing the work, and then two, it's possible for them to still do the work um, because of the overall infrastructure. And a lot of times, the the case for this is something like Amazon Web Services, where you know how you interact and manage those systems is you don't like use the MMC and go in and you know click through some stuff. It's all you know programmatic. You say like, okay, we need five more EC2 instances, and then those spin up from an image. And they pull their keys from somewhere. Uh, On Amazon, it's the key management service. And so Cryptic is something that you can do set up yourself um, for your own infrastructure. So it's written in Go. Go is interesting in that it creates uh, statically linked uh, executables. So you don't need a whole bunch of different um, dependencies to run them. So you just get a Go executable. You have Go on the machine. It just runs. Very easy to get going. And what you do is you basically write in um, key secrets to the system, and then within your configuration files, that when it's executed, it will pull those secrets out and dynamically insert them into it as needed. Um, so it's a great way to, you know, prevent... Um, you know, we talk about, like, privacy by design. Like, using a key management, secret management system is a privacy by design thing that you're building into your operations, that everything needs to go through this, and then, you know, it's a situation where you can't be compromised.
0: Yeah, well, when you were describing how it worked, it reminded me of the new NIST password rules, and uh, it basically, I feel like, automates a lot of the rules for good password The protection policies. Like I liked how the minimum is is eight characters, and then you can go all the way. I think max. A lot of times people say it's sixteen, but NIST says you can go up to all the way to sixty four. And I'm just thinking, oh my god, I'm going to become a memory champ if I do like a sixty eight or sixty four password code. So, do you guys have any new favorite? The password rules from NIST that you guys found was interesting or? Well, or just, yeah, go just ahead.
1: The, sorry, just the, um, the point you brought up about, like, password limits, that always drives me absolutely insane when I go to, a, you know, fill out something or join a, a website or something. It's like, oh, you know, minimum eight characters, maximum 16. You can't have certain special characters. It, like, you just know it's poorly written on the back and, like, I just feel like that's just asking to be compromised because there's no logical reason to put those restrictions in uh, unless they're parsing the input incorrectly um, or they're doing something weird with the hash, um, because the hash should all come out the same length at the end if they're doing it properly. So, um, yeah, that really annoys me. (laughs) I think it's worse than that. I think it's a sign of a really antiquated
2: system. Like, where a lot of the stuff comes from is that, you know, in databases, when you set up a a column in a table, you would, you know, especially in the older systems or mainframes, Mm -hmm. you would specify, like, how many characters it could hold, that it was, you know, a var, you know, 16, and so that was the maximum number of, you know, ASCII characters you could have in it. So it's troubling in that, I I didn't think of this, but it it does indicate, quite likely, they aren't
1: hashing the passwords. Right. Because that would be much larger. Um, And the hashes are all fixed, so you could, you know, theoretically, in a modern database, if you're hashing, it set it at the length of whatever the hash is going to be. Yeah, and, you know... And if you're using a password manager,
2: oftentimes, you know, what it's creating is a, you know, this very long password, because you're not going to remember you're using mm-hmm. the password manager. So it, it messes with those. You know, what I really pulled out of the NIST stuff was um, that the guidelines weren't so much technical as they were user uh, experience mm-hmm. guidelines. That, um, that the, the biggest one, I thought, was actually that they recommend you don't do um, forced password changes. That... Mm-hmm. You know, like let people have the same password because they don't really shift it that much. It just makes things worse. It makes it much more likely they'll write it down or store it insecurely. Um, that not to have composition rules, like all the weird stuff, like you know, the one lowercase letter, one uppercase letter. That you should instead, like, really try to get people to use like long phrases instead. Um, so um, the. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Cindy. You've been reading the Washington Post um, article where um, they're saying that the past, it's not new, but that passphrases are becoming more and more popular. And actually, you um, reminded me one of the people we featured on our website, authentic uh, top uh, minds and in, uh, in in people who study authentication, says that you know maybe. It's not so important to uh, change it all the time. And, and Bruce Sneer says that a lot too, that past phrases are just as as good and uh, and it's the it's, it's new trend in in data security and in se- in security in general. So any last thoughts about open source before we move on to our parting gift uh, segment?
2: Um, I I would say yes, which is just that everyone should go out and try to find an open source, uh, you know, system and to try to put it into their network because I think inevitably there's things that you wish you had um, and, you know, the ability to pick up some of these tools um, and use them within your network can only help you, so.
0: Yeah, we'll be sharing some of the links uh, that I found Regard, in regards to open source security. So. Yeah. so my parting gift is I thought it was really cool that SANS is offering free cybersecurity training for veterans, and they're calling it SANS Vet Success Immersion Academy. And so it's just great because vets are already pre-vetted. They're strong-willed. They're already... Um, pass through multiple layers of security, so go vet, <laughs> Killian, do you have a parting gift?
1: Uh, I do. Um, have you guys been following um, the um, most recent leak about the hacking tools that uh, allegedly came from the NSA? Have you guys read uh, at all about that? Yeah, the shadow team. That? That's um, that's really been fascinating as this has kind of unfolded. Um, uh, with some of these tools, and um, I, I'm really curious to, to see how this plays out. Um, without getting into to politics or, you know, some of the blame game, what I find fascinating is um, somebody uh, made the suggestion that this might have not actually been a hacking um, a hacking incident. Um, this might have actually been an insider incident more akin to Snowden, somebody who's already been pre-cleared who had access to this data that managed to get it out as opposed to um, external attackers. So I thought that was... Um, a, a kind of a really interesting take on it, um, and just seems a little bit more credible to me personally. I don't know. I think the stuff is so complex that I, I think it's
2: very plausible that if you had you know a a Linux system that was sitting out there that you were launching attacks from, mm-hmm. that it could itself become compromised, and right. the tools that were on it could be you know extracted. Yeah. Um, I, what's weird to me is to start to think about you know, like we kind of joke these tools and people do stuff with it, but like is there a degree of culpability or liability if this is, you know, it seems like fairly clear that these are actually NSA tools and then those tools have now been used for exploits, that there was like a VPN cracking tool. So if if you're a large company and your VPN gets compromised with one of these tools that was written by the government like
1: is there some liability? <laughs> it's. I mean, we could tie this back to the open source ransomware. I mean, it's yeah. it's kind of the same, you know, conversation really.
2: Yeah. It, and it's so it's so gray and so weird where all this stuff is. Like, I don't know. Just day to day, all I can think is like, I just don't want this stuff to happen more. So even <laughs> than, like figuring out the blame, like we just need to do what we can to like get things locked down and you know have defense in depth. But.
0: Your NSA thing reminded me of, I just read that some some French submarines, they got hacked with uh, 22,000 documents and detailing how the submarine worked. And and so I'm in scary town again. (laughs) Um, It just sounds like a lot of what's in my news feed is everything's going to crash like in the next couple of months. You've been warned. Yeah. All
2: right. So my parting gift. <laughs> Doi- I don't know if you guys play video games, but uh Dois-X, I'm probably saying that wrong. Deus Ex. Deus Ex. Deus Yeah.
1: So
2: this is what I get for playing the game and not actually like you know saying the words <laughs> properly. But uh, the new the new Deus Ex was just released, and um, I don't know if you guys played video games growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, But the very first one I thought was incredible when it came out because it had hacking in it. And so, like, Mm -hmm. and that it was actually portrayed as, like, the nonviolent solution to a lot of stuff where a lot of video games at the time, you know, you just walk up and shoot the pixelated gentleman guarding the door with your (laughs) shotgun. (laughs) But this had, you know, very interesting gameplay that used it where, like, you would hack the security camera to, like, explode and then that would draw the guard away and then you could hack the keypad to get through the door. Wait, and, so
0: it would use real life kind of you'd have to come up with the ideas to hack?
2: It would come, it would give you options, you know, mm-hmm. so and that was the big thing about it that it would give you these options and so one of the options would be you could just blast through the guy and the other option would often be, you know, that you could hack into stuff and it was really the first game to me that I remember that really had that as a deep mechanic through the whole game mm-hmm. uh, and it has a lot of interesting um you know sort of aspects of that like people have augments in the game and then the last game ended with like someone basically you know set all the augmented people to go crazy and become murder robot people um, which wasn't good you had to stop it so same sort of thing here <laughs> so so it's a, it's a fun and interesting game and you know it ties into some of the stuff so i was going to recommend it to people that's I
0: that's an play awesome game it. can we just go on the show one day and just
1: A a let's play video. Let's play. We'll put it on on Twitch,
0: I'm sure. Well, maybe it'll be the next Pokemon Go, (laughs) 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 or not. (laughs) Or not. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks, Mike Killian, all our listeners and viewers for joining us today. If you want to follow us on Twitter and see what we're doing. You can find us at Veronis V-A-R-O-N-I-S. And if you want to subscribe to this podcast, you can go to iTunes and search for the Inside Out Security Show. And please leave us a rating. It will help people find our podcast. And there's a video version of this on YouTube that you can subscribe to on the Veronis channel. Thanks, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Bye, Killian. Bye, Mike. Bye, Cindy. Thanks.